Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 48, Your Fertility Doctor. In this episode, I'm talking all about fertility physicians, what it takes to become one, what you should look for in choosing yours, and what you need to know before starting this journey. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to As a Woman. This is episode 48, Your Fertility Doctor. And this episode has been something I've been thinking about for a really long time. And it's something I get asked, who should I see? How do I choose my doctor? What does it mean to be a fertility physician? And so I thought this would be a good time, the end of the year, a lot of people thinking about their different fertility goals to start to go over how you choose a physician and what you look for and some common pitfalls I see. And then also just my personal take on switching clinics and things like that. So first of all, it takes a really long time to be a fertility physician. That is one thing I think not everybody knows and not even everybody in medicine realizes. When I was choosing to be a doctor, I didn't even realize that reproductive endocrinology and infertility was a field. But the truth is, it is. So the journey is obviously undergraduate and med school, so that's a combination of eight years You have to do an OBGYN residency, so that's four years, focusing on pregnancy, delivery, gynecologic care, and then the other subspecialties. And then after that, you have to match into a three-year fellowship, which is ultra competitive. There's only about 40 spots all over the country. Most places have one fellow a year, and you usually have to do substantial research or clinical experience or something to show that you're really interested in this competitive field. Due to the fact that spots are limited and there's not many of them, most of us move. If we have families, we move them or we're moving on ourselves. Most people in their medical journey have to move a little bit. And that is exceedingly true if you do a fellowship, especially a competitive one. So you have to go where there's enough volume and there's enough faculty and there's enough research to get adequate training. So the interesting thing about the fellowship is it's three years in length and at least 18 months have to be research. In fact, some programs have two years of research, but where I went, we had 18 months clinical and 18 months research. That's really important to realize because it's not just hands-on 
procedural skills, surgery skills, clinical exposure. There is also so much learning about endocrinology and hormones, study design, statistics. That way you can really learn a lot about scientific evidence and what matters. And that is so, so important in our field. And that's because our field, REI, is always changing. Studies are going to be coming out. Our topics like embryos and research and genetics and biopsies and pregnancy complications are really hot topics in the news, right? So the news, the media is going to take something and swing it to whatever's going to get the most clicks or the most downloads or the most purchases because they're a business. We can't fault them for that. But our job as physicians is to be able to interpret all this data, the regular boring stuff, the controversial stuff, and relay it in a way to patients that makes sense for them and helps them make choices in line with their goals. To be honest, I view that as my primary job. My primary job is to evaluate you and give you the information you need to appropriately evaluate all your choices so you can make the decision that's right for you. It's not to sell IVF and it's not to get everybody pregnant, although I would love that. That is unrealistic. And I don't have a magic ball to know who will get pregnant and who will not. And because of that, it's super important that I arm each patient with all the information they need personalized for their exact situation to make choices that are best for them. Because if you don't know where the journey is going to lead, you got to at least feel really, really good about the choices you're making along the way. But that's why research and fellowship is really important. Now, the reason all these programs require research is one, because ABOG, the American Board of OBGYN, who gives us board certification, requires it. So they require 18 months. They also require a substantial thesis project. So a thesis is a publishable research project that you complete during fellowship that you have to write, submit to journals, and then you have to defend it in your boards. So all of us in our training have to do some type of research. There's basic science research, think I'm in a lab pipetting, and then there is clinical research, think I'm observing populations and seeing what happens to them. For me, I did clinical research. I actually did both. So I did basic science research and residency. I think that really helped me get the job of getting into fellowship. But in fellowship, I knew I wasn't going to be a basic scientist forever, so I pushed hard to go to a place that would give me great clinical research exposure, and I did. So for those of you who know, I went to UNC. I worked with Ann Steiner, who is a phenom. She's fabulous. She's a powerhouse, one of the few female division directors of REI, and many NIH grants looking at natural fertility. She really sparked one of my peak interests was understanding women who are trying to conceive and what makes them more likely to do so than others. So really natural fertility over infertility. I always viewed that my ideal world would mean that I put my real job out of business because people didn't need my help, meaning they were armed with enough information and made choices that helped them get pregnant naturally. That's totally not going to happen. The rate of infertility is only rising. I'm only getting busier. But my point there is I've always had a passion for that. So I chose a research program. Essentially, I chose a fellowship program that had a research component that was highly fascinating to me. And it really changed my entire perspective of the field. And one of the driving factors for why I got on Instagram and started this podcast was my desire 
to educate women earlier in the game about their fertility so hopefully they would be less likely to need my help. Okay, so fellowship, half research, half clinical work. When you do the clinical work, you're kind of the scup monkey for the program usually, meaning you're doing all the retrievals, lots of transfers, all the IVF plans, seeing tons of patients, and that's amazingly awesome because you want that experience. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Some programs give fellows a lot of hands-on opportunity. Some do not. My program gave us tons of autonomy. That was super important to me because I had a lot of autonomy in residency at Parkland where I did OBGYN. You got a lot of hands-on experience, and I realized that I really learned by doing versus watching, so that was important to me. But after you complete all of this, you have to get board certified. So those of us in REI are double board certified. So we get board certified in OBGYN, and we get board certified in REI, and that's important. And this is why somebody can call themselves a fertility doctor And they may not be a double board certified fertility physician. And you want somebody who's done all that training I just talked about. Because we can evaluate the literature. We're up to date on procedures. We understand what it takes in and out of this job. Fertility doctors can, a naturopath who likes fertility could call herself a fertility doctor. And there are some people who do that. I'm not saying that a naturopath cannot specialize in fertility, but it's a little bit misleading to think that the two are the same. So board certification in our field 
is really terrible. So for general OBGYN, you take a written exam. So we have three-hour proctored exam at the end of your residency. And then you have to collect cases for a calendar year. All your GYN cases, your OB cases, your office cases. And then you go sit for an oral board examination. Which, friends, it's really quite terrible. It's just very intimidating and very scary. But what you do is it's divided into three sections. Each is about an hour. Somebody is looking through your case list. They're asking you questions about your cases and their standardized cases. And for general OB, it is divided up into gynecology, into OB, and then office. And you have two people who are sitting in front of you who are excellent physicians. Sometimes there's huge names in our field, and they are just asking you whatever you want. Very scary, intimidating process. But you must pass that and become board certified in OBGYN before you can sit for your REI boards. Now for your REI boards, you have to go at the end of your fellowship and sit for a three-hour proctored exam, answering questions, Then you have to collect cases for a calendar year. I know it sounds very similar. Then you have to go sit and have your oral boards, which is a three-hour long process. This is even worse than the generals. One, because the field is small and these people are like huge names who are sitting in front of you. Also, how they divide up the sections is a little bit different. So you compile three case lists. So one that is endocrinology, one that is infertility, and one that is surgery. And then you have three different sections, each an hour long. One is infertility and surgery, one is endocrinology, and one is thesis and statistics. And they are just tough. Man, they are drilling you on your thesis. They're giving you statistical questions, study design questions. It is a really intense process. Anyways, after all of that, you'll find out that you're double board certified in OBGYN and REI if you pass. The pass rate is not nearly 100 for either of these tests. Some people have to take them multiple times, and there's limits to how much you can take them. But the point is, somebody can be board eligible in REI, so that would be me my first year out of training. I was board certified in OBGYN, and I was board eligible for REI, meaning I had taken my written boards, but I was in the process of collecting cases for my orals and had not taken them yet. If somebody is board eligible per se, but they are 10 years out of training, that is not good. If somebody's not even board eligible because they didn't do a fellowship, that is not good. Yes, general OBGYNs do get trained with a very small amount of fertility. Some of them learn it on their job or because of a paucity of REIs in their area, they learned some of this. But most OBGYNs get a couple months of REI exposure months, guys. So even though their building can advertise, we are the OBGYN and fertility practice. Those are not fertility doctors. So you need to be aware of what you're consuming and who is giving you information. Are they the appropriately educated person? That's so important. So number one, when you're choosing a fertility physician, you want to understand what we all go through, but you also want to make sure that you're choosing somebody who is what you think they are. I have often seen patients who will tell me, Well, I thought they were a board-certified RE, or they said they could do fertility, so I believed them, and they didn't know they were seeing a primary care doctor, an OBGYN, a naturopath, or a chiropractor even. They didn't really understand the credentials of who they were seeing. So verifying your providers is number one. Number two, and this is big to me, this is not the time for convenience. 
This is my strong personal belief, probably because I've dedicated my life to this process. I love taking care of my patients. I will cry when things don't go right. I celebrate when things do. And to me, it is a very personal thing. Medicine's really personal, at least in this field. I feel that when I am asking you to sit across from me and be very vulnerable, I want you to know I'll be vulnerable back. I think it's a two-way street. But because of that, I feel strongly that the best practice for you is about the doctor who's the best for you and not, maybe it will be, but it may also not be the place that's the closest to you or the place that you can get in the soonest. In fact, getting in the soonest may be a red flag, but I think that's really important for you to understand because what happens is we've been trying and we haven't had success and we're scared about the journey. We know it's a lot of visits. We wanted to be pregnant yesterday, so we're ready to get this started. And I understand why convenience drives a lot of people. But I also think that this is why a lot of people change clinics. They just hop on to the place that's the closest or pops up highest in Google search or has the soonest appointment and they go there. And then they're disappointed when this person's not a good fit for them because this is a personal field of medicine. You need to trust your doctor. Let's just dive into this a little bit more. In almost no other line of medicine is somebody telling you something 90% of the time that you don't want to hear. Nobody wants to come and see me. I know that. I am not your favorite person to see. I hope that along your journey, we become friends and then you get success and then you love me a little bit. But the truth is nobody envisions their family planning journey has to come from a fertility physician's office. With a few exceptions, like same-sex couples or people who've had permanent contraceptive measures like tubal ligations or vasectomies, most people never expect to have to walk in my door. So when they walk in, everything is just blowing your mind, and I get it. Where do you park? Where is the clinic? How long is it going to take me to get there? What's the waiting room like? What's she going to ask? What's she going to be like? What is she going to say? What are our chances? What are our choices? This is so scary. How expensive is it going to be? How long is it going to take? I know. I get it. But you got to trust me or you have to trust your own version of me. I ask every patient what their goal is because I really think that sometimes we get so focused on the short game, we don't think about the long-term win. And we might make different choices based on your long-term goals. If you don't feel comfortable telling your doctor your goals, they can't help you make the decisions that are right for you. If you don't feel comfortable asking your doctor questions and you're asking them to me on Instagram or you're Googling them or you're asking your friends who've gone through fertility treatments or your communities solely but not your doctor, that's not the right doctor for you. I love it when my patients come in with lists of questions because it means they are engaged in the process and they trust me. They are looking for my expertise. And I did a lot to be an expert, and I still do. We have to maintain our certification, so we have to do CME every year, take online quizzes. We have to actively participate in research. I'm always reading journals, evaluating articles, and trying to stay up to date on what is changing because infertility, our field is always changing. And if you are going somewhere with somebody who does the same thing for every patient, is very protocol-driven, this is how we do IVF, this works for everybody, it should work for you, that's not right. That's not what this field is about. 
I always feel like there's so many things I have to offer. And my job is to say, what is the best for you? Now, it may not be the right choice. Maybe we learn something about you and then we have more data so we can make better decisions. But at least we're making personalized care decisions for you. I see all the time, largely because I'm high in the social space, that women are saying, my doctor told me to do this, but I want to do this. Or why are they telling me this? Or what are my other options? And here is the thing. There is a huge need for you to understand why your doctor is telling you that. And if your doctor is saying this is the only choice without explaining why it's the only choice or giving you statistics based on studies for you, that's not fair. Look for somebody else. It may be true that they will only do one thing. And I say that sometimes. I'm not going to take your money unless we do X because your chance of getting pregnant with Y is less than 1% per month and that's no different than your natural chance. So if you're going to spend your money here, I want it to be something that's going to give you a chance of getting pregnant much higher. Sometimes we'll say that, but you need to know why. Also, I think this is really important. There are always one-offs. I almost never will tell a patient they have a 0% chance of getting pregnant. I will sometimes give numbers like less than 1%. That is not at all zero. So one person out of a thousand can get pregnant They are falling in that statistic appropriately, and they can go be really loud on social media that celery juice or their naturopath or buy these supplements that their person is selling or they are selling was the magic answer. And it's really hard not to listen to some of that because you're desperate and you want to be pregnant and you want to be controlling everything you can control. So you need to be able to talk to your doctor about that. And that's part of my point three, is that you need a doctor who understands where you're coming from and what you're trying to do and empowers you to take charge of your fertility. Meaning, I talk about supplements and diet and environment with my patients. I want to know if you're taking things. Stop taking biotin. If all of y'all are taking biotin out there, let's just stop it because it messes up our hormone assays. But if you don't feel comfortable telling your doctor that you bought a fertility supplement from an Instagram company that everybody else in your community is taking, and it has huge doses of biotin and it's messing up all your labs, you're harming your own care. So you've got to feel comfortable saying, this is what I'm on. I want to do what I can. What can I do? And if your doctor says you can't do anything, that's probably not true. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. 
Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. I say this all the time, though. You should make these changes. You should do things that studies are suggesting may have an improvement. Should you only do them and expect that you'll get pregnant? Not if the most probable outcome is that you won't get pregnant, but if you do them in conjunction with doing other things that have a probable outcome that you will get pregnant, you are just loading the deck in your favor. You want to do that. You want to do everything you can to take charge of this journey. So I think that's also a very important factor is making sure that your doctor understands your goals, listens to your questions, explain things, why they want to do this treatment or that in a personalized fashion, also empowers you to take charge of your own health. Now, I'm fully aware that there's a lot of components to the fertility clinic besides the doctor. And choosing your doctor, you're tied to the clinic they're at. And one factor that you can't evaluate very well is the lab. The lab is the most important place if you're going to do IVF. That's where your babies go. It is those embryologists, really skilled hands who are biopsying them or freezing them or loading them in the catheter. And you have no way to know if certain things have happened at a lab, really unless you ask, have there been any embryo errors here? What are your success rates with egg freezing and thawing? What about with frozen embryo transfers? What are the success rates in this lab? There are published CDC and SART data, so you can look at that, cdc.org or SART, S-A-R-T, and it, it will compile success rates from a clinic The hard thing here is it's years behind because live birth is the primary outcome and it doesn't always reflect standard practice. Also for newer or smaller clinics, the data can be hugely misleading and it's very difficult for the layperson to understand some of these terms. That doesn't mean that you don't try, but it means the best thing to do is print it off and ask your doctor to explain it to you if you have questions that way. But I think you can gauge a lot from somebody's own answers. What do you do to protect my embryos? Where are the embryos stored? Where is this happening? What are your success rates? Ask those questions. Be an educated consumer. How long have the personnel been there in the lab? What happens if they get sick? How many embryologists are there? Are they a part of a national network where they can pull somebody in if something happens? Know the answers to these questions. And then there's the front desk. There's billing. There's office manager. There's nurses. There's medical assistants. And these people are hugely important in your journey. I'll say this as a doctor, I have had patients not love the front office or the back office, a nurse or billing or this or that, and I have no idea because the truth is my job is not up there. I don't check you in or out. I don't counsel you about billing. I'm not usually calling you with your lab results. If you do not love these aspects of your clinic or somebody's not treating you right, a nurse is rude to you or somebody's not answering your questions, Please, 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 from a fertility doctor myself, I'm begging you, tell your doctor. Very often, we don't have any idea. And if you go online and you write some nasty review, love my doctor, but her office sucks, I'm not going to take care of you. My team's not going to want to take care of you. I actually have a policy that if you leave a negative review about me, the clinic, or my staff, I'm no longer your doctor. The patient-doctor trust has now been broken and I can't take care of you because now I don't believe that you trust me. That doesn't mean you can't have any concerns. Certainly, I'd much rather you come to me. What is doctor-patient trust? Hey, Dr. Crawford, I'm not getting what I need from your nurse. Can you help? Instead of, 
leaving a nasty review or just jumping ship and going to another practice. If you don't let me know the struggles that you're having, I often don't know because my focus isn't on some of those things. It's on taking care of you at a fundamental level. If you don't feel comfortable going to your doctor or you can't go to your doctor, then that's maybe not the right doctor for you. So you're choosing more than a doctor. You're choosing the clinic, yes, but doctor-patient trust is essential. You need to get true information in a fashion you can understand that is personalized for you. You need to be able to share your goals and be vulnerable. You need to be able to make sure they understand what you're trying to accomplish, empower you to take care of yourself, and you have to be able to trust them enough to tell them the things that are making your journey worse. That's hugely important. And if you don't have all of those things, you maybe aren't at the right place. And you know what? All of those things may not exist in the clinic that's one minute from your house. Maybe it's the clinic that's 20 minutes from your house. Is that really a big deal, guys? 20 minutes? Maybe it's the clinic where you have to wait to see the doctor. You cannot get in next week to see me. I mean... Maybe you can be on a wait list and somebody will cancel and you can, but for the most part, if you call me right now to try to schedule a new patient appointment, it's probably going to be four to six weeks. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying I'm the creme de la creme or everything, but I'm just saying, hey, people will wait for somebody who they feel like is the right fit for them. And so if your friend went to this doctor and they loved her and she's booked out for three weeks but somebody else is down the street and they can see you next week, well, there may be a reason why they're open next week. So maybe waiting three weeks is what is supposed to happen for your journey. Because what do I see happen so often? You see the close person or the convenient person and it doesn't work out the way you want. And now you're seeing me six months or a year later. So talk about waiting longer. And I'm not saying Every only good doctors book out far in advance. No, we all have different schedules and scheduling algorithms. And maybe if you call today, you could get in with me next week. Probably not because I'm on vacation. But maybe you could because somebody canceled or a hole opens up. And we certainly try to get as many patients in as possible. But my point is, don't let things, convenience factors, let's say, make the decision on who you see and what clinic you go to. Make it based on Who is going to be the right doctor for you? Who in your community have your friends gone to? Who is at a place that you feel like is going to jive with you? What is this doctor's online presence? What about are they board certified or at least board eligible? Please make sure they really went to fellowship. Who are you trusting in this most vulnerable part of your journey? And I'll end with saying when somebody leaves clinic and they switch to a different clinic, it really hurts me. And I try not to have it hurt so much, to be honest. I understand completely. I can give a whole podcast and tell half of you guys, maybe this clinic's not right for you. And I'm not going to be right for everybody. Maybe somebody doesn't want what I'm giving. Maybe they want somebody who's just going to tell them what to do or not explain things. Or maybe convenience is their number one most important factor. And my practice is in the medical district and I'm not up north or down south. But the truth is that it is so personal. I do try to make this a two-way street. So when somebody leaves me, it kind of hurts. I'm hoping as time goes on, I can get better perspective at this. So this is just me being super vulnerable, that I went into this line of work so I could take care of people. 
And I really love knowing your story and taking care of you along the way. And if this isn't right for you, you should go somewhere else. And that will hopefully be the place that makes all your dreams come true. But it does make me a little sad along the way. And I've sought advice from my more senior friends in the field who all say, this is part of it. You're not going to be right. You can't be everything to everyone. You're not going to be right for everybody. But it does. But I will say I really appreciate when somebody takes the time to tell me why. Not just disappears forever. I do love the fact the patients who leave say, hey, this is the reason... I just want to let you know, thanks for playing a role in my journey. That is super meaningful. So when a physician takes their time to take care of you or they try to dedicate their life to helping people have the families they dream of and you just disappear, it's a little hurtful. It's like ghosting somebody. So I would always encourage you, if you're leaving a clinic, it is only helpful to that person, like a decent kind of humanity. You don't have to, you don't owe them anything, but instead of breaking up with them on a post-it note, let them know why you're leaving. Give them the opportunity to see if that's something that could be changed for people in the future so that all of us who are in the service line of taking care of people can do it a little bit better. Friends, thank you so much for listening. This episode has just been on my heart and I hope for all of you who are at this stage of the journey, you find somebody who you trust to take you along the path and walk down it with you. I want to say a huge thanks for listening, for every rate, review, share. I always love when you follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or the blog NatalieCrawfordMD.com. Any episode thoughts you have, I am here to listen. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>